The second reading comes to us from 1 Kings 17, verses 17 through 24. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. His illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She then said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. But he said to her, Give me your son. He took him from, to him from her bosom, carried him up to the upper chamber where he was lodging, and laid him on his own bed. He cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again and he revived. Elijah took the child, brought him down from the upper chamber into the house, and gave him to his mother. Then Elijah said, See, your son is alive. So the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that your word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. This ends the reading of God's holy word. May God add many blessings to the hearing of it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we have come into your house and gathered in your name to worship you. Enable us to hear your call in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts here together be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Friends, last night this sermon almost changed. It didn't, but I thought it might be appropriate that we talk about end times, about the coming four horsemen of the apocalypse, because the Chicago Cubs are in the World Series. And as someone who lived in central Illinois in the middle of of Cubs country, I have officiated at more than one funeral where I ended by saying, Go Cubs. So I just wanted to lift that up and lift up all the people who are celebrating. Uh, and, and, but I decided not to change the, the uh, sermon, but instead to talk about other miracles that have happened. Today we're going to be talking about Elijah. And Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Elijah came to be during the reign of King Ahab after Israel had split into two countries, Israel and Judea, or Judah, excuse me. And he came to be because Ahab married Jezebel, who worshipped Baal, the god of Canaan. And he spoke against that and lifted up worship of Israel's god over the worship of Baal. And he performed many wondrous works. He raised from the dead. He called down fire from the sky. He foretold droughts. He was lifted into heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah was so influential that when John the Baptist was uh, proclaiming that the Messiah was soon to come, people thought John the Baptist might be Elijah come again. When Jesus went up onto the mountain for the transfiguration, it was Elijah and Moses who joined him. There is no doubt that Elijah was an 
impactful figure in the history of Israel and the history of God's people that we share in. And today we see his first appearance. First, he goes to to Ahab and foretells a drought that will not end until he says it will. And then God told him to go to Wadi Cherith. Now, Wadi is a small crevice or, or like a small valley that is dry except for when it rains and then it's filled with water. And he stayed there and drank of that water and God proclaimed that the ravens would come and bring him food. And he stayed there until he dried up. And then God told him to go to Zarephath where a widow would feed him. And as he's entered into the gates of Zarephath, there was a widow gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, woman, bring me some water. And she did. No doubt she was terrified. Here was a strange man calling out to her. She was a a vulnerable woman uh, by herself outside the city gates. And they said, now bake me some bread. Bring me something to eat. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I only have a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil. It's all I have in the world. In fact, it's so few that I'm about to go bake our last bread and me and my son are going to eat it and then we are going to starve to death. Elijah says, listen to what God says. Go do that, but first make me a small piece of bread and bring it to me first. And if you do that, your God will make sure that your meal doesn't run out, that your oil never runs dry. And so she does this. She goes and makes him a small patty and brings it to him. And her meal stayed full. Her oil didn't run dry. And Elijah actually started staying with them. And after some time, her son died anyway. And she blamed Elijah. She said, you came into our house, you brought your God, and now my son is dead. And so Elijah scooped up the boy and took him up to his room where he was staying, and he threw himself over him, and he cried out to God, why have you done this? Please revive him. And God gave him new life. Today is Consecration Sunday. And I'm so glad that the the narrative lectionary gave us the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. It's actually for next Sunday, but since I won't be here, I moved it to this Sunday because it fits so well with the idea of stewardship and consecration of giving to God. I think the widow of Zarephath is a perfect example of what happens when we can give. We have to keep in mind that at first, the widow was probably a worshiper of Baal. Sidon, where Zarephath was, where she lived, was also where Jezebel was from, and they all worshipped Baal there. And it's strange that that's where God first sent Elijah at the beginning of his ministry. But she knew of Elijah's God. And he spoke to her, and she listened. And he asked God to get, or asked her first, to give to God. Before she fed of her family, she must give to God. And she did. And she was blessed because of it. This must have been an extremely difficult decision for her. She had so little that she was literally about to go home and prepare her last meal. And here was this strange man asking her for a portion of it. 
of her last meal, the meal that she and her son would eat before they slowly starved to death. The last thing they had on this earth. And Elijah said, God commands that you give part of it to me. That takes discipline. That takes dedication. That takes heart. That takes faith to follow through to that. There's an old story about a man that goes into a church that he grew up in. And it's stewardship season, and he decides to give testimony. He stands up and he said, When me and my wife were first married, we came to this church. And we only had $10 between us. And the pastor preached about stewardship and giving to God. And we gave that $10. We gave everything we had to God. And now look at me. I've become a successful businessman. I'm worth millions of dollars. And then this little voice from the back of the sanctuary pipes up and says, I dare you to do it again. Sometimes when we have little, it's easier to give to God. And that's what this widow did, but she was rewarded abundantly. There's a perversion in American Christianity known as the prosperity gospel. This is a perversion of the gospel that says that if you give enough and you are faithful enough, God will reward you with riches. That you will become very wealthy. And these pastors, they're often televangelists. They drive beautiful cars, live in huge houses, have huge vacation homes. They have tons of money. In fact, they say that it's necessary that they have tons of money because they are modeling a faithful life. There's one that just last year, his name, and and I kid you not, his name is Crenflo Dollar. That's a fitting name for a prosperity gospel preacher. He wanted his church to buy him a plane. He went to the trustees of the church and said, I should have a plane to show how faithful I am to God. I had a friend whose sister fell into one of these prosperity gospel churches. And they gave every penny they had. They end up losing their home, their car, their jobs. They found themselves homeless. And they reached out to the church that they gave so much to. And the church's response was, well, I guess you weren't faithful enough. And turned their back on them. The widow was blessed abundantly. And if when we give faithfully, we are blessed abundantly. But we aren't necessarily blessed with money with finances, with gifts. The widow is given bread and meal, but not enough to become wealthy, just enough to continue to survive. Instead, she's blessed in other ways. As she gives, she learns to trust in God. She gives of her bread and meal, and the next day there's more bread and more meal. And she knows that it's a gift from God. And so she learns to trust on God to provide for her. She learns to trust in God for her very survival. She's also blessed in that she grows in relationship with God. She grows to know God better. God moves from Elijah's God to the God of Israel to the God that's in her house. She gets to know God and to see God's promises fulfill. And she grows in relationship 
And she grows in faith. We know this isn't the prosperity gospel because even though she gives to God, her son dies. And she is distraught. She blames Elijah. She blames God. And Elijah doesn't say, well, it's not. It's because you didn't have enough faith. But instead, he cries out to God. And through God, the boy is resurrected. The boy is healed. And because of the widow's faithfulness, she sees evidence of new life. Because of God. Because of God, her son has new life. Friends, I think this is a perfect model for stewardship. When we look at stewardship, when we think of giving ourselves, we realize that we learn to trust in God. We learn to realize that all we have comes from God and we're called to give of a portion of it back to God. We're to give to God first, for all we have comes from God. The widow didn't bake bread for her and her son, but first gave a portion to Elijah. We see that when we give to God, we grow in trust and we grow in relationship. I haven't always tithed to the church, I haven't always given regularly, I often gave when I can. At one point, Heather and I decided to make a, a decision that we were going to pledge to our church and to give a certain amount each month. And that really helped us to start to put God first in our lives, to think about God in a new way, to grow in our relationship with God. This past week, we bought Hannah her first big girl bed. She moved from a toddler bed to a big girl bed. It's cute. She looks like a small peanut in it. It swallows her whole. But she was so excited, and it was time that she moved up. And as we were talking about, should we buy this bed? Well, it's a great sale. We need to do it soon, but we don't have to do it right now. We talked about if we can afford it. Is this something we can afford right now, or is it something we should put towards later? And God came into that discussion. We didn't specifically say, well, what would God want us to do? But instead we looked at our finances and we looked at the bills we have to pay every month. And we look at our obligations. And because we pledged to to our church, we consider that pledge one of our main obligations. And in that way, what we do is dedicated or uh, derived by what we give to God. Our giving to God comes first in all of our decision-making because we pledge, because we give a set amount, because that is our obligation. So anytime we make any financial decision, our dedication to God comes into that discussion because that's something we have promised to ourselves, we've promised to God, and we are going to hold that promise together. And that has helped us to grow in our relationship with God. This story is about Elijah, but more than that, I think it's about the widow. About how she models stewardship. When we give to the church, we continue the church's ministry. When the widow gave to Elijah, she continued Elijah's ministry. Without her, Elijah would have died, would have starved. When she gave to God through giving to Elijah, she grew to trust God. She grew in faith to God. She grew in relationship to God. 
When we pledge of ourselves, of our time, our talent, our treasures, we grow to trust God and we grow in relationship of God. And finally, when the widow gave to God, she began to see signs of new life. This is the new life that we are promised in Jesus Christ. And because we've been given this new life through Christ, through God's only Son, that is why we give. We give out of joyful thanksgiving for what we've been given. For the new life that we all have been offered. I know people don't always like stewardship season. Nobody really likes to talk about money. Some feel it's very personal. Some feel it's very mundane. But if we look at the scripture, we see that God works through the mundane. We see God working with Elijah through the ravens that bring him food. We see God working through the widow that brings him meal and oil. We see God working through the very meal and oil. These are very normal, everyday things. But God makes the ordinary extraordinary. And God works through them. God works through us as well. As we decide to what to dedicate ourselves, we need to dedicate ourselves to God in some manner. Time, talent, treasures. You need to examine how you have been blessed. Examine your relationship with God. And give faithfully. Because I truly believe that God is working through the ministry of this church. And God is working through each one of us.